Some stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Whether you're watching Heart of the Matter on the NRB Network, DirecTV Channel 378, or listening on AM820 TV, The Truth, I mean, excuse me, The Truth, AM820, we welcome you. If you can't watch Heart on regular television, you can get it online at www.hotm.tv. You can watch all of our programs, which are archived there as well. But you can watch uh, right now anybody uh, from anywhere in the world through streaming video. I was a born-again Mormon moving toward Christian authenticity. Is a book available at bornagainmormon.com. It's also available at utlm.org, Christian Gift and Bible, Lifeway Christian Bookstores. So check it out if you're interested in that. In terms of where a person spends their time on earth, there's no place better than in the Word of God. Hearing it, reading it, understanding it. Every week we... Uh, read the Bible verse by verse, uh, meeting at the University of Utah on Sundays from 2.30 to 3.30 p.m. All are welcome. It's a Bible study. We pray. We study the Bible. We pray. We leave. We fellowship. We have food most of the time. Uh, go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information like times and locations. Upcoming October events on October 3rd, I'll be speaking at Provo Baptist Church. 6 p.m., that's a Sunday. Then also on that Sunday, October 3rd, 7 p.m., Super Chick, a Christian band, will be playing at Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, right off there at 4500 South off the I-15. And then on October 6th, a Wednesday, um, where, oh, here we go, Compassion, Clarity, Confidence Ministry of the Magic Valley. I'm not kidding you, this is real. Presents uh, Sean McCraney at the Lighthouse Twin Falls, Idaho. Wednesday, October 6th at 7 p.m. Get there early to get a good seat, it says. Finally, Utah Christian Fellowship is also having me speak on October 17th, Sunday, 6 p.m. Utah Christian Fellowship is located at 4037 West, 8250 South. You can also go to utahchristian.net for more information like map and directions. Now, we received a video from overseas, uh, a, a different country, and in it, an infant is just delighted by something. Uh, take a look. Tell us what you think.
It's uh, that infant's mother happens to be my daughter, Mallory, and that's my grandson. And she just happened to be watching the show streaming video there in Sweden. And she looked down and couldn't believe how enthralled her son Lazarus was in watching her granddaddy on TV. Now, I've never liked infants at all. I find them boring. I don't like them until they're like two years old and up when they can form opinions and attitudes and stuff. I've, I've never liked infants, but I love that baby. That, I love that infant. So it's great to have him on the show for the first time in his young life. With that, let's have a prayer. Dear God in heaven, we need you in our lives. I need you here on the show as we try to host this thing and, and uh, our audience needs you in their lives, wherever they may be. So we pray your Holy Spirit will be with us. Help me as I articulate this message and what's not of, of you. Let it just go away and, uh, in our minds and what is of you, let it carry forward into the hearts of people who are searching for your truth. We pray for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Blessing the volunteers and the staff who are here spending their time to get this out over the airwaves. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Our topic tonight is polygamy. Uh, we have already done a number of shows on the subject, so I am really pleased, however, to have an opportunity to... Uh, reapproach this because I believe in the past my approach has been sorely lacking. How, why has it been lacking? Because I've approached the subject by joining uh, the ranks of other emotionally pitched accusations and have not sought to truly strike at the root of the problem or the heart of the matter when it comes to this topic. Tonight, I hope to present perhaps a clear, the clearest picture on the subject so we can, if we choose, begin to deal with it in truth and in fact and not by emotion. It's very, very easy to attack people or a people based on a single salacious bit of news. Topics like polygamy sell newspapers and they get ratings and they uh, garner the applause of masses. Uh, polygamy has long been a seat filler for people who go out speaking on Mormonism. You want to get the, the crowd who's not Mormon to listen and really be enthralled. Well, just talk about their polygamy and boy, you've really got them. But in reality, the LDS practice of polygamy has much more biblical support than many other of their unique doctrines and practices, which often go unexamined. Uh, in other words, polygamy is just an easy target. I've been guilty of pandering to the masses with the same approach, in part because I was emotionally convinced of its wrongness, but also because it's so easy to use to delegitimize the faith. Uh, Joseph Smith had how many secret wives? That's all you got to ask, and for the most part, you've won the battle, right? Well, where Mormonism fails regarding the topic of polygamy is not necessarily in its practice of polygamy, okay? It fails on a number of other elements orbiting around its practice, and we're going to talk about them in just a minute. It's our intention to have every show this year be the best that can be used when comparing and contrasting Mormonism with biblical Christianity. With that being the case, I have found it necessary to really dig deep and analyze our topic for tonight. Some of you are going to recoil at this presentation, uh, at the presentation of these facts, okay? But hopefully most of you will take what we are saying and use it to compare what the Bible truly presents about polygamy and compare it to Joseph Smith's interpretation uh, and practice of the same. So I'm going to break our topic of polygamy into four broad headings. 
They are the biblical cons of polygamy, the biblical pros of polygamy, the biblical difficulties of polygamy, and Mormon wrongs about polygamy. And so let's take each of these and discuss them starting with the biblical cons of polygamy. All we have to do is go to the first human beings, Adam and Eve, Earth's model couple given to uh, the world by God himself. What was the model? One man to one woman. Uh, a man can only be one with one woman at a time. God did not create more than one woman from Adam. Neither did he provide Adam with more than one male appendage so he could be one with another woman at the same time. Now, I know that's delicate, but it's true. One man and one woman with the command for them to become one. A second biblical con against the practice of polygamy comes by reading the first of account of who practiced it. That's in Genesis 4. And what does it say? It says, And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. After the fall, it was Cain's son, Lamech, who was the first to take uh, one wife and corrupting God's ideal model. In other words, the earth's originator of the practice for polygamy came from a really debased heritage, Cain's. Third, we can appeal to the results of uh, polygamy, uh, specifically of Abraham and Solomon, to show how faulty it can be as a practice. What did the practice produce? It produced trouble and sorrow. So much so that Sarah bitterly made Abraham sin Hagar and the other wife, the, his other wife and her son Ishmael off into the desert to die. Something Abraham did not want to do. But because he and Sarah chose to bring another wife into their lives, it ended in great pain. Fortunately, God intervened on Hagar's behalf, but the world has dealt with the sorrowful results of their actions since. So that's another con, the results polygamy can bring. A fourth con, which is found contextually in Scripture, is that when Jesus overcame sin and death, he offers an Edenic restoration uh, or a pre-fall existence to all who come to know him. This means that through his shed blood, many of the effects of the fall are reduced and eliminated uh, and are made available to those who trust on him. This includes God's model of marriage, one man to one woman, which ought to become the norm for regenerated believers. Through him, the idea of multiple wives uh, would normally become anathema to couples who have entered uh, into marriage based on Christ. So it's very tough to ha have Christ's blood redeem you, be, have the Holy Spirit come into you, and then operate by um, uh, something that's not the Edenic Eden model that God provided. That brings us to the fifth con against polygamy. The New Testament never refers to a husband and wives. It's never plural. Because Christ came and restored the Edenic model, Paul only writes in terms of a singular wife. There's a tacit inference uh, uh, there that all believers in Christ, um, polygamous marriages would be out of character. 
Okay, and then finally, in terms of the biblical con, we have direct instruction found in Timothy regarding men who fulfill specific calls in the body of Christ. It says that bishops and deacons must be the husband of one wife. Check it out, 1 Timothy 3, 2. A bishop must then be blameless, the husband of one wife, uh, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. 1 Timothy 3:12. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. So there are the major biblical cons or arguments against the practice of polygamy that we can all use. But are there biblical pros uh, for the practice of polygamy? I do not think that the pros for polygamy hold the same strength as the cons. In Scripture, God established marriage in a way that was ideal and best. Nevertheless, we cannot ignore the fact that there are biblical supports for the practice and that the practice was permitted by God. Therefore, the biggest pro for the practice of polygamy is that it existed, and it was present in the lives of some major Old Testament icons of faith. As stated, Abraham, David, Solomon all practiced it, and they were not lightweights. How do we reconcile this? I would suggest that our answer to this question is perhaps the single most important element in the Mormon Christian debate over polygamy. How do we reconcile that polygamy is a biblical fact with the fact that Mormons began practicing it again as early as 1833? From a naturalistic sense in terms of living in this fallen world, taking on more than one wife for some men is perfectly natural. Look at the model replicated in the animal kingdom. Uh, one rooster to an entire hen house one uh, stud to an entire field of horses. Now understand, this does not make polygamy godly as men and women are not farm animals. But prior to Pentecost, listen, prior to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit did not reside in men and women. It only worked on them. And therefore, the effects of the fall were far more influential on our Old Testament fathers of faith than our post-Day of Pentecost believers. This is further illustrated by the fact that Paul tells Christian believers that it would be better that they marry not at all. That marriage doesn't even need to be part of their walk. Uh, so they could devote more of their time to the service of God. But he adds... But it is better to marry than to burn, meaning if the presence of the Holy Spirit within a believer cannot override their need for fleshly sexual fulfillment, it's better to marry than to burn with fornication. We can't escape the fact that men and women participated in polygamy in the Bible, but we can understand its place and practice in Old Testament fathers far better than in post-Day of Pentecost believers. This very fact brings the practice of polygamy among Mormons under extreme scrutiny, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Finally, in terms of another biblical pro for polygamy, besides the fact that it exists, some suggest the parable of the ten virgins is a parabolic proof text supporting the practice. This is debatable. I personally think there's an 
unknown cultural element to the parable where the 10 virgins were not brides, but simply 10 maids of honor attending the marriage of their friend, similar to today's bridesmaids. And there's evidence of this in ancient history, but we can't necessarily prove it. Okay, so let's look at the biblical difficulties with polygamy. Many of the difficulties that we face with the practice interestingly enough, are the product of the biblical cons I first listed at the beginning of the show. For instance, one of the biggest stances anti-polygamists take against polygamy is the fact that it produces a great deal of problems and sorrow. I've taken this stance myself on the air, but if we're going to be fair, how often does traditional marriage also cause pain and sorrow? I mean, it does all the time. So to use the argument that polygamy is wrong because it ends in difficulty throws marriage in the same boat and the point is rendered moot. Carrying this to an extreme, I think this is why Jesus said the children of this world marry and are given in marriage. Yes, God ordains marriage because he is dealing in a world that operates through a fallen ways and means. But I would suggest that if we were in the unfallen state in the Garden of Eden, where selfishness and jealousy did not exist, marriage would not exist either. And there'd be no need for it. We don't see, even though many Christian pastors will infer that Adam and Eve were married prior to the fall and God married them. They interject that into the text. There is no place where it says that. He does not need to marry them because there is no need for a binding contract between two people who are already one. There is no need for a binding contract between two people who did not have selfishness and anger and vindictiveness and resentment and all those things that came with the fall. So again, it's difficult to use the argument that polygamy results in pain and sorrow when in more times than not, any type of marriage can cause the same. But again, if humans want to indulge in the benefit of marriage, which is sex, then it is better to marry than to burn. I hope that point is made clear, even though it was kind of cumbersome. Another difficulty with polygamy is the fact that Paul prevented certain leaders in the body from having more than one wife. This tells us that having more than one wife was common when Paul was writing. It was as if he was saying, listen, if you're going to take on the responsibilities of being a bishop or a deacon in the New Testament church, you cannot have the added responsibilities of having more than one wife too. Notice that in all the writings of the New and Old Testament, where in much of it, God goes to great lengths to renounce adultery and fornication and sleeping with animals and homosexuality, there is not a single renunciation from the mouth of an Old Testament prophet, a New Testament apostle, or from Jesus himself about taking more than one wife, except from Paul, and that is only addressed to bishops and deacons. Why? This leads me to ask you a very, very difficult question. Christians, using the Bible as our guide, got that? Using the Bible as our guide, which of these actions is supported the most? Ready? Adultery, divorce, or polygamy? Again, which of these does the Bible prohibit and which does it either tacitly support or at least remain silent on? 
I would go so far as to say this being the case, that in a land where polygamy is lawful, no Christian could be condemned for practicing it. I listened to Chuck Smith, my mentor, on a radio call from, uh, it was coming in from somewhere in South America, and they said, my brother is a Christian, and prior to being a Christian, he has many wives. Now that he's a Christian, I say, you have to do something about that. What do you suggest, Pastor Chuck? Chuck said, I would say, stay with those wives. He started off in the, with those marriages, and now that he has become a Christian, he's supposed to throw those women out into the street and his children? No, not at all. It's not that you would go into that relationship as a Christian, but it doesn't mean you have to go and fix it up. Now, this is really liberal stuff, but we're taking it from a biblical stance. Why would I say this? Historically, and even to this day, I would suggest that Christian believers and attackers of Mormon's history of polygamy have failed to make a truly cogent uh, presentation when comparing the practice of biblical polygamy to Joseph Smith's practice and institution of it. Instead, the arguments have been emotional and they're based on how gross it is or how uncivil and barbaric it is or how God is against it when the Bible gives us no such directive. We fail as Christians and as apologists when we attack their practice of polygamy on the basis that it's barbaric and, and uh, uncivil and unbiblical and all those other factors. So how should a Christian defender of the faith approach the subject and history of LDS polygamy? This brings us to the fourth and final point of our message tonight. That is Mormons, Mormonism's wrongs uh, regarding polygamy. Now, by supposedly restoring the true gospel of Christ's original church to the earth, Joseph Smith literally misappropriated or misreinstituted things Jesus had completely fulfilled through his death on the cross. Joseph reattached the temple veil, put it back up, which God tore down at the death of his son and made passing through it dependent upon man's righteousness and not on Christ's. Joseph Smith reinstituted a false priesthood, which priests and high priest with priests and high priests, uh, which according to the book of Hebrews, Jesus is this high priest, not other men. Joseph Smith also took the grace of God and he mixed it up with Old Testament, uh, Old Covenant obedience, uh, which Paul completely explained as being wholly at odds with grace. He says you can't have the two. They are mutually exclusive. In Joseph Smith's first publication, The Famed Book of Mormon, he literally condemns the polygamous practices of David and Solomon in Jacob chapter 2 and has God refer to those practices as them committing whoredoms, which is not biblical in the least. And in an early non-edited version of the Doctrine and Covenants dated 1835, it reads, it reads, quote, we declare that we believe that one man should have one wife and one woman, one husband. This brings us to the first problem with Mormon polygamy. It conflicts with their Book of Mormon, which they state is the most correct book on the face of the earth. In time and after taking in all these pre-Christian elements from the Old Testament, from masonry and from other sources, the imaginative Joseph Smith began to personally dabble with taking on multiple wives. His first was named Fanny Alger, who was a teenage maid who lived and worked for the Smiths. The year was 1833 and his marriage to a 14-year-old, I believe, Alger, 
introduces us to a number of other problems with Mormon polygamy. First, it was done after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is supposed to be imbibing in believers and is supposed to reconcile us to the Edenic model of marriage and not to the Old Testament model of marriage. Okay, so uh, the uh, second thing, uh, so the first one was that uh, it did not reconcile them to uh, the Edenic model. Their polygamy practice reconciled them to the Old Testament model. Then there, it was uh, not uh, a Christian practice or a biblical practice of polygamy uh, because uh, he did it in secret. So where the prophets David and Solomon and Abraham all practiced their polygamy openly, Joseph practiced it in secret, okay? Why? What was his attitude about the secrecy? Orson Pratt, early church leader who was at one time married to a woman named Sarah Pratt, uh, who ultimately left Mormonism and Orson, she was propositioned by Joseph Smith to become his wife while still married to Pratt. In an 1886 interview, she said, quote, Joseph used to state to his intended victims, as he did to me, God does not care if we have a good time if only other people do not know it. She continued, he, quote, he introduced a marriage ceremony when he found out he could not get certain women without it. If any women like me opposed his wishes, he used to say, be silent or I shall ruin your character. My character must be sustained in the interest of the church. So Joseph used secrecy in his polygamous practices, whereas Old Testament and biblical uh, prophets and, and leaders always were out in the open with it. Fourth, he kept the secret from his wife, Emma. And then it involved a teenager who did not have the ability to refute the advances of of an uh, intelligent adult. Uh, These things were not part of Old Testament polygamy. There is no way a restored practice, uh, that Mormonism's polygamy was a restored practice because Joseph Smith did not introduce it or practice it the way it was practiced in biblical times. By the way, Fanny Alger was kicked out by Emma, abandoned Mormonism, and remarried in 1836. Additionally, And in total opposition to biblical polygamy, Joseph Smith engaged in a type of polygamy which would be anathema to any Christian or any Jew because he took the wives of other men and he made them his. This is not part of biblical uh, uh, polygamy. It would never be part of biblical polygamy. In the spring of 2008, Brian C. Hales reported in the Mormon Historical Studies, page uh, 41, listen, despite the fact that such relationships are nowhere to be found in the Old Testament or Book of Mormon, it is undeniable that between 1841 and 1843, Joseph Smith was sealed to women who were already civilly married to other men. Okay, what I am about to say can be big. Had Joseph Smith openly taken on an extra wife or wives who were of age and unmarried and could reasonably choose to enter into a multiple marriage with him, it would have certainly caused a stir, but he would have stood on much higher biblical ground than the absolute self-serving and deceptive approach he chose. You see, to justify his desires, he lied and deceived people in the name of God himself. How did he do that? After taking on numerous secret wives, Joseph produced a revelation on plural marriage, Doctrine and Covenants 132, saying that God 
demanded it. Where Jesus said souls in heaven neither marry nor are given in marriage and that the children of this world marry and are given in marriage, Joseph made both marriage eternal and polygamy mandatory. Mandatory for what? To be exalted, to become a god. Here again, we have another major divergence from the practice of biblical polygamy because Joseph had God command it to be practiced and associated the practice with becoming a god. This is absolutely unconscionable because it took the liberty men and women had in Christ to either not marry or to marry only one woman and forced otherwise unwilling men and women into a practice that biblically was not authored by God, but simply allowed by him. By the time Brigham Young was ruling with his iron fist, he was saying things like, quote, the only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy, end quote. The, this twist on a practice found among God's covenant people served to place thousands of men and women then and today under a yoke of polygamous bondage. Look around us now. Because of Joseph Smith and his revelation, there are factions of people all over the Western U.S. and Canada stuck in the ugly, mandatory, marital cohabitation of polygamy because Joseph said God commanded it for them to be accepted of him. Can you see the difference between the biblical polygamy and Mormonism's polygamy? Finally, using the same deceptive practices, Mormonism today, from the prophet Thomas S. Monson on down, denies any ties to polygamy. This is a flat-out lie. It's a flat-out lie. They, they stand up and they tell the world they have nothing to do with it. Again, it's a lie. Like Joseph, they are deceptively and purposefully lying to the world in order to secretly gain its acceptance. How can I say this first? Eternal marriage is still practiced today by Salt Lake City Mormons. A faithful Mormon man can have more than one wife sealed to him for eternity today. Uh, so they say they don't have something to do with it, but they absolutely do. Then... The supposed revelation of Joseph Smith about polygamy remains in their doctrine and covenants. It's part of their canon today, right now. Why haven't the Mormon leaders removed it? Because they believe it. They accept it. They have something to do with polygamy today. They believe it's an eternal principle and they believe it's important and that men will have more than one wife in the hereafter. So they believe it's an eternal principle. The late LDS apostle Bruce R. McConkie and his now refuted Mormon doctrine, but it was believed ever since he wrote it till he passed away, said, quote, obviously the holy practice of polygamy will commence again after the second coming of the Son of Man and the ushering in of the millennium, end quote. And that's what every Mormon has been taught. And every Latter-day Saint male believes that probably many people will practice polygamy. Mormons today refute many of McConkie's writings, including this one, but that is a side issue. If they are honest and truthful, they will admit that polygamy in Mormonism is an eternal principle and it will be practiced in the hereafter. All of these points make the practice and presence of biblical polygamy far afield from what Mormons did and will continue to do.
With that, let's take your phone calls, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. First-time callers, please, LDS callers, if at all possible, and please turn down your television sets. You have probably noticed, if you watch TV20, that many of the programs on the air are starting to petition and solicit for funds for support. Um, this is because uh, the cost of doing television here at TV20 has gone up uh, a lot, uh, and and it started with us when Derek back in June. It really went up a lot back in June, and so it's gone up uh, for some of those other programs too. And so this is why you're hearing them kind of say, "Hey, help us stay on the air." Well, um, heart of the matter is in the same boat. Plus, we have the national religious broadcasters, and we're also looking at TBN. Uh, this is not. Uh, a solicitation for you to uh, go and uh, stop paying to your local church. It's not to go and stop paying to the charities that you love and support. It's if God so places it on your heart. It's if you are so inclined and you have the means and you're, and you're able and willing. That's what it is. Then we could use the support that you want to give financially. If you can't give financially or if you can only give a small amount, we understand. We appreciate everything. And if you can't give at all, we appreciate your prayers. Those are more valuable, in, in my opinion, than the money. So pray for us if you can't uh, help us out financially. And if you want to help us out financially, go to www.hotm.tv. You can find out how to do it. I think we'll put up some other information towards the end of the show, the phone number if you want to call, stuff like that. We have a partners program for people who want to do a systematic approach every month, which really helps us out. But whatever you can do, we appreciate it, and uh, we thank you for it. So uh, we have Demo in South Ogden, Utah. We have Dave in Orem, Utah. And we have Brent in Murray, Utah. They're all first-time callers, so we're going to go to Demo first. Demo, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Demo. How you doing? Good, yeah, how are you? This is Sean. Yeah, I just put it on mute. Um, uh, well, I wanted to make a couple of comments, and then also I wanted to uh, and then ask a question, but um, I'm going to do it in order. I'm going to do it rapidly. Um, so Good. I might want to make notes, okay, because uh, I know sometimes you're a smart guy, but sometimes people ask two or three things, and you kind of forget. No offense. Um, but for <clears throat> if you could explain in, uh, to uh, to the LDS members, uh, more importantly to the, the investigators, I guess, um, that... Uh, Demo? Yeah? You really got to get on it, babe. These people Okay, I'm going to get on it right now. I'm going fast. All right. Here we go. First thing is this. To anybody that's investigating, I'm talking about LDS out there, Orson Pratt said this, convince us of the errors of our doctrine, if there are any, and we will be forever grateful. That's the new church history. They heard that, hopefully. Now, the next thing would be um, the old temple in Palestine in the Bible was not used for marriage, and there's no proof of it, but the LDS believe there is. And then the... Uh, the, the, the last yeah. thing uh, would be simply that uh, Paul said, prove all things, you know, uh, uh, test and prove all things to the, what the Bereans. So those but, things, you know, prove. And what's impressive, convince us of the areas of our doctrine. If there are any, and we will be forever grateful. So do it, LDS members. Good and point. the temple, tell them, Sean, the temple in the Old Testament and in the New Testament was not for marriage. Good points, Demo. Is there a question, too? 
point it out to him, brother. All right, man. God bless you. Thanks for the God call. Bless you. And I, I think the show will keep going on, man. God's going to bless you with money. I know that. Good deal, boo. Thanks, Demo. Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to Dave in Orem, Utah. He says he's a first-time caller. Dave, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, my brother. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Doing good. Hey, I've got some uh, insight into the polygamy thing. Yeah. Um, my uh, question to all of us would be, why did God give us marriage in the first place? And I would say that it's not so much for the childbearing and all the other uh, important things that it uh, pertains to, but marriage is a type of our relationship with God. It's the most intimate relationship we'll have aside from the relationship we have with God. And so he's using it with uh, the one man, one woman, because he doesn't want us to have any gods before him. So, uh, you know, if we have more than one God, uh, that's adultery spiritually. And so if we have more than one spouse, that's, you know, an earthly uh, type of what's go what uh, goes on between us and God. Yeah, it's good, but it wasn't what God said to David. In fact, he told David in 2 Samuel, he said, listen, David, after you committed the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, he said, I've given you this, I've given you that, I've given you concubines and all this. If you wanted more, I would have given them to you. So, that, so I understand your point, and I understand that, that idolatry and adultery, primarily in the Old Testament, is really synonymous with idolatry. But right, I, but I, you're I, talking I, about Old Testament. Like you had mentioned before, yeah. when you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have that relationship that's intimate yeah. with God yeah. that, that they never had in the Old Testament. And I, right. I believe that marriage, at least in a Christian marriage, it is supposed to show us what our relationship with uh, Christ is like. Well, I think that it can do that. But Paul said it would be better if you were like me and not married. So, I mean, we have that direct. I just think, it, but he says, but, you know, it's better to marry than to burn. So yeah, I really well, think we can that, only imagine what kind of a marriage Paul did have because, uh, you know, as far as we know, he had to be married to be a Pharisee. So his wife probably know, left him because he became a Christian. More than likely. But, but he, his advice to us, and Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, is that. So I'm not sure that we necessarily. I mean, we we try to really make marriage this really big important thing, and it is. It's ordained of God. But I think it is something that God says. Listen. If you're going to do it, you got to do it with love. You got to do it. You got to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. And you got to do all this. But it does create responsibility that takes you away from full service of, of Christ. And so I right. think for the Christian, since to say that marriage is the, is the way God teaches us to, to be singular in our uh, adoration to him, I think that's faulty. I think you can be single and have adoration for God, never have been married, and, and, and have a great perfect relationship with him that wouldn't come with marriage. Well, as uh, you know, as one that was married later in life, I can't disagree with you on that. Mm. You know, uh, you certainly can as a single person. But I think if you're dealing with more than one wife, you have a, a double-minded man. You know, somebody's going to suffer. One of those wives is going to suffer 50% of the time at least. Yeah. Well, I, I can't help but agree with you because I think that if you have trouble in one marriage, you're going to have trouble with two. Uh, so I think that's why God didn't have Adam and Eve and Jane. So I think you're right yeah. on that point. All well, right, hey, thanks. you have the problem of Joseph Smith. How many wives was it, 33? That brings along a whole different problem. 33 yeah. mothers-in-law. <laughs> Dave, his, uh, D Joseph's problems, his polygamy was nothing like biblical polygamy. I think that's the thing we got to start making sure people understand. Thanks so much, Dave. 
Okay, God bless you, my brother. You too, bye-bye. We're going to Ann and Hurricane. She's first-time caller, and she's LDS. Ann, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, um, my name's Ann, and I'm just calling from Hurricane. I am from a polygamist family. Yeah. My, my father was a polygamist. Okay. And um, I was always told, and don't know where this um, is written, that Adam had three wives. And one was Eve and Lilith, and I forgot the other one. Yeah, they pulled Lilith from, uh, what was it, like the Babylonian or one of the ancient uh, myth transcripts. Lilith is one of the, what, what Christians and Jewish scholars uh, believe is a myth. So uh, Adam had Eve, according to the biblical account, and that's what we, I go by, certainly. So that's just a myth that Joseph Smith made up? I don't think Joseph Smith came up with the Lilith deal. I think that has been bantered around by, by probably people for a long time that Adam had multiple wives. Uh, but then again, at the fall, I, it doesn't say it in Scripture, so I would just say no, that's not true. Okay, and I have another comment. Um, my mother has told me my whole life about her sister wife and how unhappy they were together and i think my mother was pretty miserable in that relationship yeah but she still defends it to the utmost and i have other family members who are uh in polygamy and i've tried i've been doing a lot of studying and watching your show and and I've been trying to talk to my mother, but now I find that I'm being ostracized by other family members. I think um, it's really hard because I, I quit saying anything because I was feeling like I was um, being shunned. Yeah. And my mother was so upset that I quit saying anything to her um, she said that she doesn't believe the Mormon Church is the only true church, which was really a surprise to me, because mm. I was kind of raised in the, in the Mormon Church, but also baptized by the polygamists. Yeah. So I was kind of really mixed up, and I just started uh, looking at the Bible, and I, I just get really confused sometimes when I read it, because I still have all these old tapes. Hey, Ann. Out there, uh -huh. out there in Hurricane, do you have a Bible-teaching church? You know, one well, that... we found one last week, uh, Calvary Campus, and that was our first time going there. But um, I see a lot of polygamists down here, and I just, sometimes I just feel like I don't want to get involved with any church, because I feel like, you know, maybe I'm going to be... Um, misled or something yeah. it's a common it's a common fear and I don't blame you you know but Anne, listen you're on the right track keep opening that Bible and keep opening that New Testament start read that Gospel of John and, and 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 the Acts and read Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and all those epistles and stay on just stay trusting in the Lord and say I'm not gonna trust a man I'm not gonna trust a, a, a seer or a prophet I'm not gonna trust Sean McCraney Lord you show me lead me where to go and just keep establishing that relationship with him and and he will not his word will not return void you will be filled by his Holy Spirit and you'll be pulled from all these ridiculous religious uh, traditions that are surrounding the state okay 
Is there anything that you would recommend I could say to my my sister and my mother? Yeah, I would I would just share the the fact that Jesus said my sister and my brother Jesus said you must be born again. You know, and and that gives you new eyes and it gives you a new heart. Do you have that new heart? Do you know you're saved? I would talk to him about the love of Christ and what his shed blood did for you, does for you in your mind. Or if you don't know it yet, wait to first be healed. Wait to first have Jesus come into you and read his word. And before you seek to convert, first be converted. And so make sure you yourself are firm in where you stand with him and then start to share him. I wouldn't, you know, unless God leads you, I wouldn't really get on them for their, for their culture and their practice because that's long ingrained in them. And so you want to gently lead them in with Jesus and love, unless you're otherwise directed, okay? All right. Thanks, Sean. I like your show, and I'll continue to watch, and I'll try to do better at reading the Bible. All right, good, Anne. You keep going. Okay, thanks. Bye. Hey, hey wait, Anne. Yeah. Stay on the line. I want to tell our operators to get your address. We'll send you a book. Oh, thank you. Is that okay? Okay, okay hold sure. on one second. Okay, Anne is online, whatever, something. Line four. And we're going to go to Brent and Murray. <laughs> I love when I, they correct me on this. Brent and Murray. You're on the air, man. Yes, Sean. Yeah. Sean, my name is Brent, and I'm calling from Murray, Utah. Hello, I'm Brent from Murray, Utah. Yes, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sitting up here on TV, and I'm watching you. You know, Sean, I have a real problem with you. You said that, it, you know, I believe in marriage, and I believe that the Word of God said that it is not good for man to be alone. Hey, hey, Brent? Yes? I, I have one question before you go on, okay? Yes. Who was Jesus, from the Jehovah's Witnesses, who was Jesus in the spirit form? He was the angel Michael. Well, you are a Jehovah's Witness, I guess, or you're well read. Okay, keep going. And that's what we believe, Sean. I, I know you do. So keep going. So you don't like something on what I'm saying? Yes, because I believe that you said that it's, it's easier for a man to uh, serve the Lord if you're single. Well, if that's the case, then how come uh, uh, God said it is not good for man to be alone? I think God is, I think it's right. I think it's true. It's not good for us to be alone. And I, I think he made woman. And I think, but there, in, the, in the dispensation of grace, you don't have to be married to have a full life and a fulfilled relationship with the Lord. And if you have it put in you by the Holy Spirit to serve God with all your heart throughout your life and not be encumbered by a marriage and a family, God completely approves of that. Completely. Okay. All right? Well, thank you. You're welcome, Brent. God bless you. <laughs> Highlight reel. All right. Uh, we have Diana. We're going to go to Richard and Taylorsville in just a second. Diana from Sandy says that the Ten Commandments says no adultery, yet the Mormons believe in the practice of polygamy. Does this make sense? Well, uh, it does make sense. Uh, in some ways, but they believe in marrying those other wives who they are uh, having sexual relationships with, and therefore they count that not as adultery. Just as David and Abraham, they did not commit adultery with their wives and their concubines. David did commit adultery with Bathsheba, 
which is why, with another man's wife, which is why he was so condemned by God for that and the murder. So God sees if a man is taking on more than one wife and the responsibilities, and he is taking that on in love and trying and doing that, God sees that, and the Mormons are trying to justify their polygamy in that way. The problem is, where Mormons are errant in that, is that they don't care for those wives historically, now, maybe there are some cases that they have, but those wives are usually lonely. They're not cared. They weren't historically cared for financially. They uh, were other men's. They were other men's wives when they were taken. They were uh, sealed to multiplicity of other LDS leaders. The whole thing is a, is a nightmare compared to biblical polygamy. So I think there are differences, and I think the LDS try to play the biblical side, but it's just not applicable or true. Richard in Taylorsville. Line two, Richard, you're on Heart of the Matter. What's up? Not much, man. What are you doing? Um, I was I was just saying thank you for like giving me a prayer, man. For doing you a favor? No, it's like um, it's like you prayed for me like a long time ago and at the Heart of the Matter party in um, Danifold. Yeah, what happened? Um, you know I've you know I've cut down a lot, you know. Oh, are you the young kid? Yeah, with the orange hair in the middle. Yeah, man, I remember you. Hey, I'm yeah. glad. I'm glad, Richard. You yeah. Know, I'm really happy to hear that. You know, you've gone through a lot, and praise God that he's working in your life. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, because, like, I started reading my Bible more than I ever used to, you know? Good. Well, yeah, that's I'm just, like, that's... really, I'm really grateful that I really got to meet you, man. Well, it was nice to meet you, Richard. You just keep going. It was a real pleasure for us to be able to talk. We'll do it yeah, again man. sometime, okay? Okay. All right, take care. Thanks for calling. Yeah, man. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to Kim and Ephraim. Go ahead. Thank you. First-time caller. Kim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Kim. Hi. Um, would you please, um, in Deuteronomy 17:17, 17, 17, where it says, Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for itself. Will you explain that? And then also in the, I think it's in Leviticus where it says uh, that a man shouldn't sleep with the mother and the daughter. If that, to me, that's saying, you know what, you don't do the polygamy thing. And then also in Matthew, where, where Jesus Christ, you know, yeah, Matthew 19, 5 and 6, it says, you know, that you should leave the father and mother and you shall become one flesh mm -hmm. and um so then there are no longer two but one right okay, okay let me go kim stay on the phone first one deuteronomy was talking about kings and kings should not multiply the silver and gold the horses the chariots or wives unto themselves we have a similar passage, a mate passage in the New Testament, when Paul tells people who are in the ministry, deacons and bishops, not to have more than one wife. Okay, so that, that Deuteronomy passage was to kings. The second one you talked about was what? I think it was in the Levit Leviticus. The Levitical law where it says that the uh, husband shouldn't sleep with the mother and daughter. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I don't think that's referring to polygamy. I think that's referring to some kind of kinky practice, those... Israelites were trying to do and so God said knock it off the Egyptians are doing it you're not and we have some problems in in LDS history with their polygamy when it comes to mothers and wives so there's another way that they don't practice biblical polygamy and then the third point was Jesus Matthew 19 
Remember yeah. what I said, Jesus restored the Edenic state to believers. And so a true believer who's full of the Holy Spirit, he or she is going to go back, if involved in marriage, to that Edenic state and avoid the Old Testament practice of polygamy. Okay, can I ask you just one other question, please? Yes. Um, if uh, the, the polygamists turned their life to Jesus Christ, yes. like in this area we have the Harmston group, if a group, group of them totally gave their life over to Jesus, in your opinion, is it, would it be okay for them to keep their wives? You know, the way I would answer that, if, if, a, if a group of polygamists came or a man came with 20 wives and said, we have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, I would say, let the Lord Jesus Christ lead you in your lives. Let him come in and you keep caring for each other and you just keep living how you've arranged it. And if the Lord breaks you up and he does it with peace and love and kindness, so be it. And if your financial security and the way you are as a family is intertwined and love is there, then stay at it. I, I, remember, all things are lawful, not all things are expedient. It isn't the best, but I don't believe the God of heaven would come in and say, you know, you've actually cared for these 10 wives, uh, split it up. Unless the wives say, hey, God doesn't want me in this, then she should be free to go. And then a man truly converted to Christ would agree with that. But I just don't believe in dogmatism because the practice was in place and a group comes to know who Jesus is. Does okay. that help? All right. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. God okay. bless. Take care, Kim. Bye-bye. I got to take this call. Larry in Salt Lake City wants to know about same-sex polygamy. <laughs> Larry, you got to be kidding me. What's that? Larry, you got to be kidding me. Same-sex polygamy? No, I'm serious. We were talking about it at work the other day. Where do you work? <laughs> at a countertop shop. Uh, what? We were kind of laughing about it, and yeah, it was like, with a bunch of brother husbands, who would be the dependents when you file your taxes? <laughs> Listen, one thing you got to kind of understand is while we don't have God saying practice polygamy, we understand that prior to Christ's coming, uh, especially in early uh, uh, children of Israel days, but, sorry for my language, but before Christ came, women and even after, have had a low rung on the totem pole. Right. If they weren't married, they were prostitutes, sold into slavery, uh, they were horribly uh, misabused. So most historians believe that the children of Israel, in order to be a cohesive group, with many of their men being killed off in battle, God allowed this polygamy to go on. Yeah, we got started on it with the, in light of the recent controversy with the Proposition 8 deal they had uh, it got a little extreme we got a good laugh out of it well, thank you for sharing it with us you bet all right my friend thanks for watching all righty bye bye okay uh scroll down we got something here on the screen uh jim from west jordan line two jim you're on heart of the matter hi sean i, I wanted to ask you if you knew about the model that the the smith polyandry polygamy is based on uh where the model of where it's based on i don't know if i can say i do uh it's there was a model that it's based on uh, the court of elizabeth in britain um uh, john d and his friend ed kelly were trying to bring on paradise and uh, 
were talking to angels, and they came to realize through those angels that they needed to share everything in common, and they began to share their wives. Everything had to be in unity. That's why Smith was told in Section 132 that he had to have it in agreement with his wife to do it right, because everything's got to be shared of value and of virtue. Hmm. I, I didn't know that, Jim. I haven't heard that about that uh, uh, Elizabethan approach. Uh, but I appreciate it. Look into that, everybody. Check it out. Go to utlm.org. See what they have to say about it. Appreciate the input, my friend. There's a really good history program on the Inter History International called the, uh, the True Philosopher's Stone. Okay. And it describes that whole history. And they even found the Book of Abraham in it. Wow. Well, check that out. Thanks so much, my friend. You bet. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Uh, we have uh, an email from Stacy. goes back a ways. I talked about a book about Jim Jones, a cult leader. She says, did Jim Jones' uh, book say how members of the cult decided Jim was telling him the truth? Did his message make them feel good? Did any of them use the phrase that his truth resounded with them? Jim Jones, uh, from the reading I've done, convinced them through total control through uh, mesmerism, through uh, claims of extreme love, and then uh, retribution and punishments that were embarrassing to defectors. And so he created both a sense of security and inclusiveness, uh, exclusiveness, excuse me, and then, um, and then at the same time, he severely punished people who went against him. And so he, he grew in this ability to control people Many of the parallels to Jonestown and Jim Jones' personality uh, are found in other totalistic uh, methodologies that groups and cults use. And like I've said before, being in a cult is on a spectrum. You can go for everything is, has a cult to it. Everything is cultic because human beings are cultic. We congregate, we group together, we become like-minded, we start to talk like each other, we start to dress like each other. It just happens. And that's one end of the spectrum of being cultic. The other end of the spectrum is totalistic, they call it totalistic methodologies, Robert J. Lifton from China talks about that, and that means everything in your life is controlled by the cult. Somewhere along that spectrum, you have to see where you are in the religion that you're at, or, or, or the marriage that you're in, or the community that you're involved in, and see exactly how much these things have control over you. I'll tell you one thing, there is liberty in Christ, and it breaks free from all these uh, cultural conformities and allows you to be who you are, as you are, and completely accepted by God. So check that out. We hope you'll come with us next week as we go into the priesthood. Next part here on Heart of the Matter. See you then. Mm -hmm.